When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Recorded live. Yeah, I'm in love with my people. 
generation through African education. Step up, black.
as we celebrate the the life of one elder, we celebrate the life of another going to the ancestral realm. And that's um, our sister, Francis, Dr. Francis Chris Wilson. But we want to give our praises to the ancestor today, this night. Queen passed last night at the age of 80. Um, 40, 40 plus years, 45, 50 years, work for work, um, identifying our, our our direct problem, um, giving us an antidote. But um, the main thing that she did was diagnose us, give us a, a diagnostic breakdown of exactly what was going on and cabin and and um taking further the work of Neilis Fuller and give to us the exact concept of exactly what is racism and white supremacy. Uh, brought to us by, uh, you know, and, and she compiled her research in a book called ISIS Paper. Um, very powerful work. Very powerful work, you know what I mean? That was, um, you know, brought to us to give us you know, some direction. And, uh, you know, I'm just opening up the line real quick, let the family come in, and then, you know, I'm going to let the queen speak for herself, you know, you know what I'm saying? We was going, that's what we're going to do. You know, things happen, so we have prompts too. So what we're going to do is we're going to let the queen speak for herself tonight. We're just going to let that go off. And, you know, if y'all want to tune in and listen to the queen break down the ISIS papers, y'all stay tuned in. You know, and that's what we're going to do tonight. But before we go to that, you know, um, I see some of the family out there on the line. If y'all want to come in and just give, um, you know, just give a couple words on the sisters, Dr. Francis Crest Wilson. Um, you're welcome to our, I think I see Sister Camille out there, Brother Cole, Black Power. Black Power, Black Power, B.B. Foyer. B.B. Foyer. Black Power, B.B. Foyer. What do you do out there tonight, Tommy? Black Power, BB48. Sister Katrina. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Queen. Uh, just take your name and go ahead and, you know, if you want to give a couple words on the sister, please do. This is Sister Katrina. Black Power, BB48. I'm sorry, I'm sick. I'm just listening. Listening in. Black power, queen. Black power. Well, tonight we're gonna let the we're gonna let the we're gonna let Dr. Francis Creswell to speak for himself. I got a um, little lecture by her. Little lecture is about an hour, thirty minutes. You know, and, and you know, out of out of respect for the answers, we're just gonna let her speak for herself tonight. You know what I mean? We're gonna drop that, and because it was Bob Clark, we were gonna do Bob Clark today. You know what I mean? And because of that, you know, we're gonna do the. Um, Dr. Francis Creswell said, we're going to back that up with a Bible clause, and we're going to let the ancestors speak for themselves tonight. And family, y'all just hold on and take a listen. And, you know, like I said, um, it's it's, it's up to you whether or not you want to listen in to these great elders. You know what I mean? And we'll be back at you. Might hold a little special tomorrow and just do a a little work, you know, on 
our own. But uh, tonight, like I said, we're gonna let the ancestors speak. Sister Camille, you got something you want to chop? You want to put in? I think that's appropriate. Um, where you want to go with it tonight? In terms of the great queen mother, African warrior scholar, I think the ancestors for the gift of her. You know, um, she was an example and is an example for sisters uh, that are wakening up. Uh, In fact, her work will help that process along. But an example that, um, you know, we got a place in this to be before ODA, you know, and um, if we work hard and apply ourselves and put our people first, you know, we, we can follow in her footsteps, black power. Cool. Yeah, Black Power. I just wanted to say, um, you know, just reflecting on on the ancestor now. Um, you know, she's extremely important um, when it comes to how we, you know, how we mentally are dealing with these circumstances. Um, you know, she's definitely responsible for my understanding of the color aspect um, and the psychological aspect in relation to our situation. So, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, a family member. So uh, I really don't have, you know, nothing much to say. I really do want to get into um, listening and reflecting. Um, But that's all I got to say. Right. We see I got family. We have family out there from Texas. Texas family, if y'all want, you know, y'all want to come in. I see some New York family out there. Um, you know, if y'all want to come in and drop any words, reflection on Dr. Francis Chris Wilson before we get into the lecture. You know, it's Slaughterhouse Saturday. Who's still betraying the African Revolution? And you know, it's a, uh, uh, another calendar year. You know what I'm saying? A new calendar year. So, you know, with this new calendar year, you know, we're gonna be moving moving forward, setting in the same direction. But with a couple of new things, a couple of new things though added on. We're gonna take a couple of things away. We're going to take a couple of things away, though. We're going to move further and further away from the um, from the madness. Now, fucking picture me off is how they saying Martin Luther King stuck in a white man's dick. That ain't fucking for real, man. What the fuck is that? What? I mean, fuck. That shit is just some fucked up crazy shit, man. White people all the Nobody fucking saying that. Nobody got time for the bullshit. I mean, really? You feel me? That's what I'm saying. It's like, no, what the fuck, you. my nigga? My nigga, what you talking about, man? Yo, let's end the ignorance. That's all crack of beans. What you talking about, man? You know what Martin Luther King be saying? It ain't none of that. It ain't got nothing to do with sucking no dick. You feel me? 
what I'm saying is I keep hearing these white people, these crazy-ass motherfucking white people on Facebook and on TV saying that Martin Luther King was sucking the white man's dick. Man, what the fuck is that? This ain't about Martin Luther King's day. Where you calling there from? Yeah, look, check it, check it on online, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. on. We gonna go to Doctor Francis Press Wilson. We don't want to hear nothing about no Martin Luther King. Who? Yeah, Doctor Francis, man. That's who I'm asking for. First, brother. So then we gonna go to Doctor Francis Press Wilson. Now the white man online, uh, slandering, slandering. You know. Uh, now I'm gonna give Martin Luther King this that he is a brother. I give him that. I give him that much. But he's slandering his well-paid-for Negroes. That what he. That what he do. That's what he want to get people all crazy and thinking about shit like that. Brother, get your mind off the Martin Luther King and into Marcus Garvey. If you think about a time period, then get your mind into Brother Red, uh, affectionately known as Detroit Red. Some people might know him as Malcolm. Get your mind into them brothers right there or something. But, um, you know, get your mind off of Martin and get your mind on to uh, uh, Robert Williams, you know. Uh, well, yeah, what, what's his name, Marcus Gravy? Oh, Lord. Here we go. 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 All right. Right power. All right, so I got me. Let me get this thing together here. I have to get the mute on this over here. Let me get the mute on that. Again, good evening, everyone. Yeah. Welcome to the Chris Wilson Institute of Psychiatry and Social Research. I see a lot of familiar faces, but are there any people that have not been here before? Welcome. Well, the Crest Welsing Institute is a series of lectures once a month to talk about one thing, and that one thing is racism, white supremacy as a system. Uh, it's because I'm a psychiatrist, general psychiatrist, and child psychiatrist, and I am convinced that for our mental health as black people, we have to answer the question that we're always asking, hey, what's happening? And we're asking that question. Hold on, fam. That's the wrong, that's the wrong one. Even though that's the queen, that's the wrong one. And how did I, I put the video away? 
I come before you in the minds. Very important lesson 
that we can gain from their how Washington. And I think that his passing may be a uh, test for black people in the city of Chicago. And the question is whether or not the people in Chicago, the black people, rise to the occasion to show Harold Washington that he is still here. But we can talk about that further. I think that the thing that we must do as black people is to begin to have a very clear context in which we do our thinking. That events never occur in the abstract. They are always occurring in particular patterns and they are occurring in relationship to other things. And when I talk to black people across this country, and I've recently come back from England and talked to black people there, and I say that a clue, there's a clue to what ails us to some extent. And it's how we greet each other. Many of us greet each other by saying, what's happening? Hey, what's happening? And I say that because we don't really understand what is going on. That when we really understand what is going on, we will be able to say like some other people, how do you do? But we are constantly saying, what happened? Well. Now I would like to share my idea about what is happening and the context in which I do my thinking and in which I understand world events. And that goes to the issue of white supremacy. You know, we've used the word racism for a long time or we've used the word discrimination. But I am using the phrase white supremacy and in parenthesis racism or the other way around racism and in parenthesis white supremacy, but the emphasis being on white supremacy. And I say that this is the thing that we must understand, that we are not going to be able to understand black male-female relations. We are not going to be able to understand teenage pregnancy. We are not going to be able to understand drug addiction. We are not going to be able to really understand the tendency to have trash build up around us in the places where we live unless we come to grips with white supremacy. What is this white supremacy? And I want everybody to take out a little piece of paper and get a pencil. And write this name and write this telephone number down. The name is Neely Fuller, N-E-L-Y, Fuller, F-U-L-L-E-R. And his phone number is area code 202-484-5461. This gentleman is the author of a book called The Textbook for Victims of Racism or White Supremacy. I would recommend this book talks about $25, $25 or $30. I 
now now I can understand and I can move from there to understand many other things. So I said, why would these people do this? And then my education, starting at Douglas Elementary School, Wimbledon High School, Antioch College, Howard Medical School, okay, classmates or whatever, <laughs> that all of this came together once I raised this question because this question just said, brain computer, go to work on this problem. And so I was standing in my kitchen, as a matter of fact, doing dishes or cooking, and the brain computer came with the printout. And the printout was this, that here we are on this planet Earth, one-tenth of the people have white skin. Nine-tenths of the people are black, brown, red, and yellow. One of the things that the one-tenth would say is that the nine-tenths particularly the black people, were genetically inferior. How many people have heard that? Everybody. So I also understood in training as a psychiatrist when somebody is pointing, something's wrong with you. Something is wrong with you. Something is wrong with you. Something is wrong with you that the behavioral scientist knows that the finger that is pointing at somebody else has three fingers that are pointing at them. And so I also thought about that and I said, oh, wow. These people are telling us that we are genetically inferior, but the same people are genetic recessive. You see, and even if you have not studied formal genetics, everybody in this room, every black person is a scholar in genetics. Because all black people know don't marry anybody darker than yourself. You see, that's genetic knowledge under white supremacy because black people didn't like their color and were trying to get away from this very powerful and dominant color. But the people who were classified as white learned after they had circumnavigated the globe. And everywhere the people were colored. And those white men who had sexual intercourse with the black women and waited around nine months, they found out that white plus black is equal to color. White plus brown is equal to color. White plus red is equal to color. And white plus yellow is equal to color. So they understood after that voyage, after those many voyages, that these people, the black, brown, red, and yellow people, were the majority people on the planet. And that they were genetically dominant to white skinned people. And they also made a quick brain-computer calculation that if they did not maintain control and domination over the black, brown, red, and yellow people, that white people could disappear on the planet. Now, black people, and this is what I wrote about in this paper, the Crest Theory of Color Confrontation and Racism that was first discussed in 1970. That's 17 years ago. I was a baby. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. But 
a lot of times some of the other disciplines, they can have a whole lot of ideas, but they are not required to get people well. But when you are required to get people well and you make your living based on your ability to get people well, there's another dimension. It's not just talking for fun and games. It's a question of, I've got to understand this, because when somebody comes in my office and says, Dr. Wesley, help me with this, I've got to understand enough to be able to help them. And since I was trained as a black psychiatrist that black people didn't have the intelligence to talk about their problems, check it, and that the best treatment for them was drugs, and I said, no way that I was going to understand what the problems were that black people faced so that I could share that understanding with them and help them solve the problems in their lives. So that my having to understand is that once I understood it, I said, oh, okay. Now I understand. The discussions that were going on before talking about black male-female relations, you've got to understand that those problems are tied to the system of white supremacy, and they are tied in a particular way, and they are tied in this way. Where's my race? Oh, here's my race. That it's the problem that the people who classify themselves as white if the problem that they face is white supremacy for the purpose of white genetic survival, are you with me? So this is the key. This tiny group of people, this tiny minority of people on the planet are trying to survive genetically. And so they're saying, a lot of people say, oh, no, their thing is money. Mm-mm, they make money. They don't make melanin. See, they manufacture money. But God makes melanin. Now, they didn't have it, and so their struggle is to survive genetically. Now, black men and black women, we are all equal people. We are not the same. Women are not the same as men, and men are not the same as women. The critical issue of white genetic survival is related when it comes to black, brown, red, and yellow people is that black, brown, red, and yellow Women cannot cause white genetic annihilation. See how quiet it is? The women are offended. No. Women cannot force men to have sexual intercourse. Is that true? See, you can entice. Nice perfume, nice clothes, nice words. Entice. But if you try to force a man to have sexual intercourse, you're going to whip out your M16 rifle and say, you better come on. (laughs) And if you 
frightened him, what's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> See, now, these are basic facts of physiology. It doesn't require anybody to make this up. This is basic physiology so that women cannot force sexual intercourse. Men, white, black, brown, red, and yellow can impose sexual intercourse. See, I'm not talking about rapists, but I'm talking about they can impose sexual intercourse. So that the critical issue of white genetic survival comes down and attacks males differentially than it does females. You see, in other words, a white male can decide, now I want to make some lighter colored black people. So I'm going to have sex with a black woman. That's his decision. The woman cannot, the black female, the non-white female, cannot impose that decision on any white male or any non-white male. But males can impose this decision. And so because of all of the levels of color, black, brown, red, and yellow, black is the highest level of melanin pigmentation. Brown, red, and yellow. These are lesser levels of the same pigment. So that the white people understood, the white collective understood, if we are to survive genetically, we must impose control on men, and we impose it directly in proportion to the amount of pigment that you can produce. So that growing up on the south side of Chicago, you learn, if you are black, get back. If you are brown, stick around. If you are yellow, you're mellow. If you're white, you're right. Now, I was just in London, and I went through this, and all the people who, from Africa and the Caribbean just went right through. They know it, too. <laughs> all the non-white people all over the world, Asia, Africa, the islands of the South Seas, wherever, where there has been confrontation with white, everybody knows how the colors stack up relative to threat to white genetic survival, although people never understood that the reason that the colors had to be put down in such a way was related to white fear of white genetic annihilation. So because of that, because of that problem, imposing major stress, now there's stress on all of us, males and females alike, but there is horrendous stress on the men because the men present the threat to white genetic survival. Right here in this city, long time ago, 3149 Elk. But my parents and my grandmother were in our dining room and they were talking about somebody had been lynched. I was a little girl, very little. They were talking about somebody had been lynched. And they were kind of talking in hushed tones. And I remember asking my grandmother, Granny, why did they do that? My grandmother said, well, because some people have to act ugly. Now, lynching and castration means what? To kill and to attack the genitals of the black man. See, I was wondering, well, what, what, what is that all about? See, black men may do many things. You've never heard telling history of a black man attacking a white man's genitals. 
It's no history. It's no history of people of color attacking white people's genitals. But there is global history of people who classify themselves as white attacking the genitals of non-white men. So you say, why? Because the brain computer wants to understand in depth so that it can move with greater power. So we say, why? And we end up with this. Here's the black man's genitals. Attack this and destroy this. Why? Because in the testicles is what? The genetic material. And the genetic material that can cause white annihilation. Do you understand? Doesn't it make sense?
I want to kill and he can annihilate me, then they call it what? Justifiable homicide. That's right, that's right. Are you with me? Absolutely. All for the purpose, not of economics, but for the purpose of what? White genetic survival. Now, how does this then come down and impact on the family? But let me say before I go further that there is a lot of material. If you understand what I'm saying here, there are many things that you will understand about the white supremacy system and culture that you look at every day but you really do not think about. Most people do not realize, see, we're getting ready to come around towards February, February 14th, Valentine's Day. The most important thing about Valentine's Day is that in a day in the white supremacy system and culture, in which they give out chocolate candy. Well. The white female likes the white male to give her chocolate candy. <laughs> <laughs> now, as black females, <laughs> we follow, you know, whatever they do, that's what we do. We want some chocolate candy, too without realizing that we already have our chocolate can. Melanocytes are supposed to produce that black pigment called melanin. 
If you have a deficiency of a particular enzyme called tyrosinase, the melanocytes will not produce melanin, and you will not have pigmentation. But you can take those melanocytes and bombard them with ultraviolet rays from the sun and force the melanocytes to try to produce a little tyrosinase and then go forward to produce melanin, but that kind of mistreatment of those cells in an unprotected state will cause cancer. But people who are classified as white, I've read in the Time magazine where they say, I don't care if I get cancer. At least I will be a good-looking corpse. You see, but in the meantime, in the meantime, because we did not understand their psyche, we did not understand what the fundamental issue that drives the whole construction of a culture. We didn't understand that they were feeling numerically inadequate, genetically deficient in terms of skin coloration, and so they produced this culture that oppressed non-white people all over the world. We didn't understand it, and we didn't understand them, and so our ability to relate to them has been impaired. We thought it was all about everybody get together, everybody integrate, Little black boys and little white girls and little white boys and little black girls and everybody integrate together. But we had a very great scientist whose name was Dr. Martin Luther King who conducted a very important and profound experiment. He said, I believe it's a question of love. If we can show them how to love, I think it will change their behavior. But he did not understand the fear of white genetic annihilation, and he did not understand that if everybody loved, that white would disappear. (laughs) And so Malcolm X, He also was a great political scientist who conducted an experiment, but he was talking about not love. He was thinking about the bullet, so he had to be eliminated. But Dr. Martin Luther King, who talked about love, and because that would lead to white genetic annihilation, he was also killed. Do you understand? Now, it is of critical importance that we understand this is the issue. How do I know further that this is the issue? How many people know the game of village or pool? Everybody in Chicago knows. Come on, you all don't you all know that game? Sure you know village and pool. What is that game about? Oh. That game is about white supremacy, but most people don't understand it. A white ball and a whole lot of colored balls are on the table. The white ball knocks all the colored balls under the table. Isn't that the game? But somebody thought that that game was entertainment in the abstract. Nothing occurs in the abstract. Everything that is occurring on this planet today is related to white supremacy. Everything. Everything is related to white supremacy. So as people who were in knowledge about what was going on, 
As they played the game of fillers or pool, it was going into the white psyche. White must remain on top, colored balls under the table. White must remain on top, colored balls under the table. White must remain on top. And we're just clowning in the pool hall and playing, talking about what's happening. It's just like many people watch People in Chicago watch football, right? People in Chicago watch basketball. What are those games about? Those games also are about balls. And these are the balls that we're talking about. <laughs> Aren't those balls? <laughs> See, testicles are called balls. But when we saw balls, we said, oh, no, this is just entertainment. And that's why it is reported that somebody interviewed Jimmy Connors, Tennis Stump, and Arthur Ashe. And they was asking, you know, well, what do you think about tennis, Jimmy Connors? Jimmy Connors said, it's a matter of life and death. Arthur Ashe said, it's fun and games. <laughs> and it, you see what I'm saying? Because they were coming from when Jimmy Connors is smashing that little white ball across <laughs> that net with a white opponent. It means one thing to his psyche. It means quite a different thing to Arthur Ashe. But this is a culture that says, what? Keep your eyes on the ball. We think that they're talking about some basketball or football, period. No, they are talking about these balls. <laughs> these balls that can cause quite genetic annihilation. Absolutely. And that is why the ball games in this culture, and most people don't think about it, that there are two series of ball games. And I won't ask the audience, but the two series are what? Big brown. It's small white. Absolutely. <laughs> See, now people play ball all the time and watch balls, but they don't really step back and say, what's going on here? And the reason that I got to this is that one Sunday in Washington, it was so quiet. And I like it to be quiet because you can really think when it's quiet. So I said, what's going on? And then it dawned on me, the ball game. So I said, wait, these ball games mean more than we think they mean. And that's how I understood this. The big ground balls are football, basketball, soccer. See, if you look at the soccer ball, it's got those black patches, so that means underneath it's black, it's got a little white covering on it. <laughs> okay. Bowling ball, small white. Tennis, golf. golf. Ping pong, baseball. Okay. But these are the basic ones. These are the basic ones. Now, the men that are considered to be most virile play what game? Football. Football and basketball. Meaning they play with the big brown ball.
where the brain is dealing with critical reality without talking about it on the surface. And so the white collective looks at the people who play with the big brown ball as being most feral. And it wasn't always that you had big brown men who were the masters of the big brown ball game. There was a time in which white males only were playing with the big brown and playing with the small white. But they also understood what it is that they were doing at the subconscious level. And look at where these big brown balls go. This big brown football goes into some white upright legs at the end of the field.
And so if you read your newspaper carefully, you will know that one-third of the Afghanistan people have been killed. Non-white people in the interest of white genetic survival. And so what we see is the big white brothers, the real big, now coming together to work more effectively together and stop wasting all this energy pretending that they are at war with one another. Because non-white people are twisting and turning in different places. And it is becoming increasingly difficult to maintain white supremacy for the purpose of global white genetic survival without just out front total cooperation. Now, this is the thing that we have to understand. And as long as we don't understand it, I maintain we will be making big mistakes. That what we need to think about in the analogy that I'm using is that what we have to have in mind is the chessboard. The chessboard, anybody? On one side of the chessboard, you have the white pieces. And on the other side of the chessboard, you have the black pieces. This is not a game about integration. (laughs) This is a game, it is not a game about hatred. It is a game in which white plays one side of the board and black plays the other. But what is the object of the game of chess? That's the B answer. The answer. The object of the game of chess is for the white king to checkmate the black king. Why? Because white always moves first. White always moves first. So that white is playing offense, Defense and black has to play defense, offense. But you can win chess playing the black side of the chessboard. You can't win it if you are thinking you can add the white side to give you some points. (laughs) You cannot win it if you think that the game is about the black king punching out the black queen or the black queen punching out the black king. You cannot win it if you think the job of the pawns is to punch out the bishop and for the queen to kill the knight. Anybody who is going to play championship-level chess knows that the game is for black to focus on white and for white to focus on black. Do you understand? See how quiet it is? Oh, Jesus. Does that mean that we really are going to be required to get along with each other? Does it mean that we have to work together across the board? Absolutely. Yes, it does. This, to me, is the 
challenge that has been left by Harold Washington because he shows by giving his life the level of struggle that has to be carried out if a black person is really going to do anything. The challenge that we are facing is whether can we look at the chessboard. Can we get comfortable playing the black side of the chessboard to victory? This is the side of the chessboard, let us say, that is playing for white supremacy for the purpose of white genetic survival. And this side of the chessboard has to play for justice. Not killing and destroying all white people, that's not what I'm talking about. But there must be neutralization of a minority of people on the planet controlling the majority. If you say that you understand what is happening in South Africa, that is a situation in which there are 4 million people who classify themselves as white and 22 million black people. And when they say by any means necessary, we are going to maintain white power, otherwise we will lose our national identity, they are saying if we don't control the 22 million, that we will be genetically annihilated. But I can tell, see, the vibrations have gone down to almost zero in here. Yes, they are. And I'm going to tell you why they've gone down to zero. That once we are required to face up to what is happening, this is a very dangerous and deadly situation. Because it is my point of view that the AIDS virus was man-made. Man-made for what purpose? For the purpose of white genetic survival. Maintaining white supremacy is war that is conducted against black, brown, red, and yellow people for the purpose of white genetic survival. It is a deadly game of war. All people who were raised up under lynching and castration know how deadly it is. All the people who are standing on the corner without jobs, all the people who are treating their depression with heroin and cocaine or alcohol know how deadly it is. All the people who know through training that men who classify themselves as white do not permit non-white men to look at them straight in the eye. Absolutely. Beyond four seconds. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now I can feel the vibe. Why do we have to talk about this? You see what I'm saying? Because we would rather not have to face this. I don't want to face it. 
is that I know I have. My grandmother used to say about her husband, my father's mother, your grandfather was a raised man. Your grandfather was a doctor, but your grandfather was a raised man. Focusing on the issue of color. My father was a raised man. Focusing on the issue of color. And they didn't send me to school not to focus on the issue of color. No, we have to look at this. Because there is not one problem that is going to be solved. There is not a problem that is going to be solved in a black household between a man and a woman if they are not doing the Nelson and Winnie Mandela pattern. And what is the Nelson and Winnie Mandela pattern? They have been separated for how long? 20-something years.
See, just like when the Romans were dealing with Jesus 2,000 years ago, Jesus was a black man. The Romans, the Romans were conducting white supremacy. If Rome remained white, they had to be conducting white supremacy. And it's a clue in his name, Jesus. That means just up. <laughs> you never thought about that. Just up. J-E-S-U-S. See, Rome was coming in and saying, no, you are going to submit to me. So white supremacy has been going on for a very long time. When they thought that the world just consisted of, you know, a little bit of Europe in the whole of Africa and the Mediterranean, white supremacy, white genetic survival was being conducted. Okay, but to go back to this point, that Jesus, when according to religion in the system of white supremacy, we're over here. You see where they changed the color of Jesus? Yeah. So that all of the non-white people in the world would not be worshiping their own image, but they would worship the image of the oppressor. And when you worship the image of white supremacy, you'll never come out from under it. And when you look at, like I went to Olivet Baptist Church, Quinn Chapel A.M.E. Church, baptized in one, christened in the other. In the little Sunday school cars, how many people saw the little Sunday school cars? In the picture of Jesus that is in your brain and it will not come out. You see, but your brain computer has already made the calculation. If that's the Son of God, God must be white. See, but probably if I ask what color is God, God doesn't have a color. Ask your computer. See, I can give everybody a test. Say, close your eyes, and I'm going to say a word, and you check the image that comes across the screen in your brain computer. Close your eyes, everybody. Eyes closed tight. Okay, here's the word. Jesus. So you didn't see an image that looked like any of the black men in this room. You said, that's not Jesus. That's not my Jesus. <laughs> Do you all understand? See, this a system. A system is made to turn out a particular product. This particular system has been designed for the purpose of white genetic survival. And so it is a system of programming the brain computers in all of these areas of activity to achieve this objective. Now, what we have to do is decode the game that is on the table. It's like if you don't play chess, you can sit down a long time and watch two people who are playing and then figure out exactly what the game is. And so what we are talking about is understanding the game that is on the table, decoding the system of white supremacy, reorganizing behavior from being victims of white supremacy turning it into people who will be able to neutralize and checkmate white supremacy. But it will take understanding, understanding that we are afraid to deal with white supremacy. 
going to tell you, I'm proof right here. You can lose your job talking about white supremacy. You can make a whole lot of people who don't even know you think they don't like you. Because you dare to talk about white supremacy. This is the game that is on the table. Everything else is fluff. But by focusing on this, any man and woman who want to improve their relationship focus on white supremacy. See, any woman that thinks man is a problem, focus on white supremacy. Any man that thinks a black woman is a problem, focus on white supremacy. There's a problem that is 10 trillion times greater for you than any non-white female that you've ever encountered on the planet. <laughs> and if, see, by looking at this side of the chessboard, which will require courage, and the use of courage will produce self-respect. And when we are in self-respect, for example, if our friends as well can say, I can't stand men. I can't stand black men. What would my self-respect score be max? Zero. No, it wouldn't be zero. It would be at max 50%. Why? Because I am produced by a mother and a father. Without my father, I could not be standing here. So if I say I hate half of myself, I hate me. Then my self-respect score will be 50 at max, and my self-defense score will also be 50. And anybody growing up in Chicago public schools know that 50 is not passed. <laughs> you see, so I would be in a failed state of self-respect. This is very critical. It is important for men. It is important for women. A man said, I, I hate black women. I hate black women. His self-respect score at max can only be 50. And he will eventually engage in self-destructive behavior, and she will engage in self-destructive behavior, and white supremacy will say, right on. See, this is of critical importance because white supremacy said, now what I want to do is that it's very difficult to maintain control with guns all the time. I have to have a much more efficient and effective manner to achieve what I need to achieve. So white supremacy says, now if I don't, it's of critical importance that the men not function at their maximal level because that would cause me white genetic annihilation. So if I cripple the man so that he cannot play that essential role of breadwinning, I can make any woman that he relates to hate him because he's not able to help her. If I don't employ him, then he will have to go back to the definition of self that I gave him during the phase of slavery. Right. Go ahead. 
make him continue studying. And then I will make his children hate him. Because he's producing that which he cannot take care of. Do you all understand? See, it's just a fantastic puzzle. All the pieces fit smoothly together. If I don't employ him, I will make his wife hate him. And then when she touches the male child, she will destroy masculinity. So that the little boy will say, Mommy, put something in there, polish on my nails, too. Okay, honey. Let me try your high heel shoes. Okay. Now, this is the youngest son. The older child, there you go, acting like that. Do you all understand? He's not bad. She's not bad. White supremacy understands what it's doing. Now, I have somebody raised a question in the last day. Well, what about homosexuality? White supremacy makes homosexuality. Homosexuality was not a form of sexual expression in Africa. It was the dominant form of sexual expression in Greece and Rome. What was going on? I say what was going on is this. Here's the big giant continent of Africa. All these black people. Some people play black Africa. The whole of Africa is black. Over here in the Mediterranean, here's Italy, little tiny countries, Europe. <laughs> so these little men over here, white, saw these giants over here, black. And they probably start saying, who has the biggest penis way back then? <laughs> Like 
if your body is missing a particular substance, you say, I think I need some green. <laughs> that's, that's true. You see, without understanding what particular mineral you are in search of. <laughs> and so these men over here started putting penis in mouth and penis in anus because compared to these men, they felt masculine deficiency. But under the conditions of white supremacy that had to attack black masculinity for the purpose of what? White genetic survival. So they said, well, now these men haven't been accustomed to these practices, but I'm taking masculinity away from them. I'm conquering them, and I'm taking masculinity away. Now, any men, I'm looking at and see some men looking to the right and looking to the left and not looking forward. Don't be upset. Don't be upset. The strongest men in this room are those who can say, we have been conquered by the oppressor. I am glad to announce, yes, we have been conquered. If the Bears lose a football game, do they have a promise saying we lost that one? See, actually, if the brain computer believes in the potential that is there, one can say we've lost the last mini tournament. It just means that we have to study the field and study the board. It doesn't mean turn around and run from the reality. So that the challenge for the rest of the 1980s is can we face the reality? So you don't enslave a people who have not been beaten. They were beaten. They were running white genetic survival, and I can even go further back in the story than that. Because what I believe happened was black people were the first people on the planet. Everybody with that? At some point in time, black people start producing albino mutants, and any black person can produce an albino mutant, somebody who doesn't have color. All they have to do is have a genetic mutation in the production of melanin. So for some reason, there were some albinos being produced in Africa, and the Africans put them out. In the same way that if a person, a baby is born genetic defective, they put the baby in an institution. So the African people put the white babies out, and the babies are up here in Europe. Across the Sahara, across the burning sand, up here in Europe. And then they collected together over a long period of time, and then they came back and started raising hell. You see, causing is like, and then what do they say about the founding of Rome? Rome was found by who? Romulus and Remus. The little white babies who were suckling on a wolf. Because what? Mother and father had put them out. And so then they circle back around and take mother and father out of Africa and bring them over to the new world 
and say, now you're going to nurse a little white baby. Do you understand? And then they call the black woman mammy and uncle and auntie. Do you all understand? I'm talking about what seems to be the flow of history, but here we are. Now injustice has been established. And we are the victims of injustice who must rise to the occasion facing truth and fix things right again. We must understand. We must understand. You see, because after they enslaved us, and destroyed the black family and said, you're not going to function. And so we are in a state of dysfunction. The majority of black children are in what? Single-parent households. We have huge numbers of children that are producing children. No child can rear a child to be a soldier. No child can rear a child to a soldier. And if you bring children in the world and you can't take care of them so they're passed from one foster home to another foster home to another foster home to another foster home, not only are you making children who are going to become drug addicts and alcoholics, but you are setting up children to be sexually abused. And I am telling you, if anybody in this room doesn't understand what is happening to children who have been, what, produced without responsibility, that these children are being dogged and degraded, it will make the strongest man cry if he dared to read the history. It is a living, crying shame what is happening to hundreds of thousands of black children under white supremacy. But white supremacy is not going to change. It is up to black people to study the chessboard and say never another black child is going to be born to a child. Never another black child is going to be born and then given away to the slave master and say you raised it. You all understand what I'm saying? I'm saying, mind you, no black woman should have a child until she's 30. No black man should become a father until he's 35. No more than two. No closer together than three years apart. Why? Because we are going to win this war. All right.
It's not about, I'm going to do my own thing. You don't go on a football field and I'm going to do my own thing and the coach says, get off the field. You don't go on a basketball court, I'm going to do my own thing. You don't even sit down with checkers, I'm going to do my own thing. No, you play the game that is on the table. We are being required to play this game of justice against white supremacy. It cannot be done with weak people. It cannot be done with children who do not get their lap time. See, lap time, I asked some children, what is lap time? How many times you run around the field? <laughs> no, lap time is the time that those children require to get their emotional bearing by being able to sit on a mature lap and not have somebody say, get down, boy, get down, you're too big. Get down, girl, get off of my lap. You see I got this baby. You understand what I'm saying? Now, the conditions have been produced, because if you don't give children lap time, they will become obsessed with sex. Did you get it? I got to have some. I got I got to. I got to have I got to get me some. House is burning. I got to get me some. Seriously. See, if you don't meet the emotional needs, if mature parents are not available, children will look for a sexual outlet to be close. And a little teenage girl, I want to have a baby, Dr. Wilson. I can take care of this baby 13. I'm going to love this baby. This baby's going to love me. Little boy, little girl, if you love me, you're going to have my baby. Yeah, I'm going to have a baby for you. Little boy wants to be loved. Little girl wants to be loved under the conditions of white supremacy. It is going to be a disaster. Children who do not get their emotional needs wet cannot sit still in the first grade. And then somebody will say, oh, he's hyperactive. I think we need to put him on medication. Do you all understand? Somebody with the first child is 14, and by the time they're 22, it's six children. Do you understand? She's overwhelmed. It is no way possible for somebody 22 to meet the emotional needs of two children. Do you understand? We must master what has happened to us under white supremacy. We are not dumb. We are not stupid. But a war machine has rolled over us. A war machine that now includes AIDS. Oh, it started in Africa. <laughs> It started in a laboratory. Is this like when the stock market fell? Because of whatever people who classify themselves as white were doing or failing to do? They said it was Black Monday. 
manufacture a virus that is specifically for the purpose of depopulating. I have to reduce the number of black people because it is too much for me to deal with. So if I just gave it to them straight, then they would say, oh, wait a minute, how come only black people have it? So what I'm going to do is give it to the white homosexuals who I think are weak white men, and so I can get rid of them, and then it'll look like it's a black-white thing, too. So people who study history will say, wait a minute, isn't that the same plan that Hitler had? Before Hitler destroyed six million Semites of the Jewish religion because he said they were not white people. And he took the white homosexuals out in front. We have exactly the same dynamic going on that went on in Nazi Germany. Hitler backed up trucks to the mental institutions and gassed those people. What do we do? We're going to let them out and let them walk around the streets where they don't have shelter, don't have decent food. And so within about four years, many of them will be dead. It's a variation on the scene. All kind of homeless people with no place to live. So we have the same dynamic that is coming down here that went down in Germany under their particular situation of white supremacy. No education being done among black people. I called Surgeon General Coop's office a year ago. I said, you all keep talking about large numbers of black people are going to have AIDS. And I said, but you are not educating in a public health manner. You are not educating black people. You have to go on the television over and over again. You have to go on the radio that black people listen to over and over again and educate them about AIDS. The spokeswoman in his office said, well, it's too bad. Some people just won't find out. And I said, I cannot believe you're saying this to me. And there was silence on the other end. In London, the black people are not being educated about AIDS. In this area of the world, the black people are not being educated about AIDS. And if you read the newspaper, I look at three newspapers every day. And if you look at the newspapers and read, you will see what they're saying. Oh, well, we won't be able to reach the drug addicts. Now, that's an impossible population. You just can't reach them. That's not true. You take a sound truck if you want to, and you can go and educate them. After every soap opera, you can have educational information, not about condoms. No, they said they brought the condom issue so they wouldn't have to educate they want us to talk about condoms, and so then they will have a big side distracting argument going on about condoms so that they do not do public health education. The way that I know that AIDS is biological warfare is because there's no education that is going on. If it was a real public health disaster, it would be all kinds of education going on. 
And I found a book in February of 1987 called A Survey of Chemical and Biological Warfare, in which they described a disease. The book was published in 1969, and they described a disease exactly like AIDS called Green Monkey Disease, Vervet Monkey Disease can be venereally transmitted, unlike any other organism, can be used for biological warfare purposes. It said that right in the book. Now here comes this green monkey again with the same disease that they're saying just came out of the blue in Africa. I say wake up, black. Demonstrate your self-respect by being courageous, looking at the truth, be willing to change your behavior. Many black people that I talk to, have you changed your behavior in the presence of age? No. I'm telling you now. Anybody who doesn't change their behavior is going to be dead. If I was a white supremacist, I would say, now, there is a form of sex called safe sex. If you use a condom, then you lower your chances of getting this deadly virus. But what would I do further to do? I put holes in the condoms in your community. And do you know? I was talking at a Unitarian church to some people a week ago, and I was saying this. And so two people that I was talking to said, didn't you see the article where they found all these condoms that had holes in them? That's why it's important to understand, is this biological warfare? If you think it's just economic, you won't understand white genetic survival, and you won't understand when the brain computer that is concerned about white genetic survival will be pushed to say we have to we have to use germ warfare on these people. You won't even understand it. If you don't understand white genetic survival, you won't understand how they could calculate to destroy six million who looked to us like they were white. But they said, no, they are not white. They came out of Africa. They are a mixture of Greek and Roman soldiers and African women. They miscegenated for close to 2,000 years with white people, lost them out of their color, but the white people said they still are not white. We just had a case of the late in New Orleans, right? Who said, well, I'm white. I look as white. And the judge said, what? You are not white. <laughs> Do you all understand? Because the person who looks white in the mind of the white supremacist is more dangerous than the person who you can see is black. Because a person who looks white can sneak some genes from Africa 
and they looked at their shoes. I mean, yes, they do. And if you think, if you think that the same thing could not happen here tomorrow, because it is happening. The biological warfare is being used. Chemical warfare, crack and cocaine and all the other stuff, PCP, that is coming into these communities by the cartload. Do you think that it is not intended? Soften up their brains with chemical warfare and give them the one-two punch with biological warfare on the other side. Get their brains accustomed to crack and cocaine. So they'll start talking, I don't care. I don't care. Just give me some more. And let me tell you what I read in the paper the other day. A black woman in New York held her six-year-old child over the toilet and allowed two men to sodomize that child so she could get some drugs. That's white supremacy. Soften the brain up so anything, I'll do anything, anything, I'll do anything, just give me some more cocaine. Do you all understand? This is the war that is being waged against us. Now, we can play around, and we cannot look at it and say we don't want to think about it. We can do it if we want to. I say that the Semites of the Jewish religion, they used to squabble about God's chosen people. They're chosen and debate what were they chosen to do. And I decided in my own mind that they were chosen to show all all the non-white people in the world that no matter how light-skinned you get, no matter how how many degrees you have, no matter what kind of car you have, no matter how many diamonds you have, no matter how many fur coats you have, no matter if you are a judge, no matter if you are a doctor, no matter if you are a professor, that when the hammer of white supremacy comes down, you are going to get it. Because they became the most miscegenated of all of the non-white people. Looking so much like white that most of the other non-white people didn't know who they are, but the white people. Who they were. So I say learn from history because we can sit up and repeat the same thing. It doesn't have anything to do with me. I mean, I've got mine. So I encourage us. I encourage us because our children are looking for models of strength. 
See, children can't stand grown-ups who don't show strength. See, children want to be able to lean up against you and not have you tilt over to the other side. The children are crying for strength. Show us a model. Show us how to be courageous. Show us how to face these mad books. If we can't face white supremacy, how can they face man? If we can't face white supremacy, how can they face reading? Do you understand? This is a time of challenge. The critical question, are we going to rise to the challenge? Just like Harold Washington leaving, he said, you all did a magnificent thing. Now, can you maintain what you got now that I'm gone? Or are you going to squabble and fight with each other and name-call each other and let the enemy ride through? You see, because I he understood something about the bigger picture. The bigger picture doesn't have anything to do with us as individual people doing our thing. Can we man our positions on the black side of the chessboard? Can we man our positions and not fight with each other but be courageous enough to look in the direction of the enemy? Let me suggest these things to you. In Mr. Neely Fuller's book, The Textbook for Victims of White Supremacy, he listed ten things that he said that people, victims of white supremacy, who are intent on bringing justice to the planet, what they can do with their individual behavior or what they can work on. Stop name calling one another. That means no more UMS, Stop name calling each other. Stop gossiping about one another. See, this is beginner's chess for mastering the black side of the chessboard. Stop squabbling with one another. Now, this is going to be very important for Chicago because snitching means informing to racists for reasons of personal gain. Stop snitching on one another. Stop being discourteous to one another. Stop being disrespectful to one another. Stop stealing from one another. Stop robbing one another. Stop fighting one another. Stop killing one another. And I add, stop using and selling drugs to one another. And last but not least, stop 
growing trash. See, I did a paper called The Politics of Trash. See, when people think they are nothing, they throw trash wherever they are. And you know what they do with trash? They compact it and they burn it. But if a person has been reduced to trash in their subconscious thinking, all kind of trash in the gutter, all kind of trash on the streets, all kind of bottles all over the streets, and those bottles were thrown down by grown people who still are acting in their inner self. You know how the baby throws the bottle out the crib? That's the emotional age that throws a bottle on the street. But that trash just stays around and stays around and circulates inside the brain, and the person cannot behave in a manner that is self and group respecting. So if we all want to instill in PhD self-respect activity, everybody ought to get a PhD in broom. Knowing how to use the broom on the sidewalk in the street. If you see somebody in your neighborhood with a broom, making sure that the gutters are clean, the sidewalk is clean, the paper is picked up. No paper around the schools where the children go to play and to learn. Then you just look at those people and say, look, that's a warrior. That's a person that's working on self-respect. Wow, look at that person. I think I want to be like like that. Go and talk to that person. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, we look at these and say, oh, that ain't nothing. All of these small behaviors make the winning of the tournament. All of these little small behaviors that seem inconsequential are absolutely essential if we're going to deal with the colossus that is presently riding over us. I hope everybody knows and understands we have more people in prison than we have in college. And what is that? White supremacy. In South Africa, the men are on those work sites, and the women are in the bantu stands. In this area of the world, the men are in the prisons, and the women are in the projects. It's just a difference in place. The same dynamic is going on. Keep them apart so they will not Keep them apart so that they will not cause white genetic annihilation. And so what is the counter move on the board here? Not going to jail. See, not going to jail. Like when I talk to junior high school students and high school students in D.C., you're not doing something against the man to rob and steal. That whole thing was set up. From the time that daddy didn't have a job 
mother didn't have a job and you got to steal the heat. It's just like setting a trap for a mouse. I want you to steal because I'm going to put you in jail. And you're going to be in jail and you're going to have sex with one another and I'm going to steadily turn you into women. That's the calculation. So this is what we must begin to be wise enough to understand. These things are not happening by accident. Nobody is buying drugs on the fly. No, they want us to buy the drugs. If they said, I want you to buy the drugs, then you would say, well, how come? So they say, no, this is illegal. You're not supposed to really get this, right? right? They sit up and say, no, we're going to put that and so supply out here. And uh, they don't understand. So they'll be killing each other, and then that will help us because they're reducing their number by about 365 in all the major cities a year. This is excellent. We're really making quite a bit of progress. <laughs> in Haiti, we have them smashing each other with machetes. In South Africa, we have them putting tires around each other. And uh, in the States, uh, we have them shooting each other. They're doing a superb job. Have you seen what an outstanding job they're doing in Detroit? So many of them are killing each other. We don't really have to worry about that. Do you want to understand? Quite genetic survival. Let me stop. Maybe you all want to ask some questions. <laughs> Thank you.
you know, I thought that would be a good thing to just go ahead and show that respect over here, or over here with the FOG refugees, put some men by her, and put some men by uh, Baba Claw. Let the elders speak for themselves tonight. <laughs> like, Bob, what's going on, Brother Minkara? How you tonight? I'm uh, doing all right, man. I was just caught up in the Queen's words because sometimes, man, you know, we, you know, we talk a lot about the, you know, our male role models and our male elders, but when you hear it coming from, you know, it's like your grandma talking to you, and it's so simple. The way she's breaking it down is so simple a baby can understand. And uh, you know, I'm just really trying to get my shit together. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you know what? Wow. She got she got another one, man, that I was gonna play, man. That's a, that's that's a banger. It made me feel like wanting to play that and we just go you know, just play that one also. So uh, man. Cause it is rare that we just you know, we just have a we you know, it's not that we try to focus on, on the on the black male scholars, but it's just something that, you know, we have to always be running through their work. Always good to hear that African woman perspective. Well, Mama said, "You come from the people who built great pyramids, and you don't want to learn math. Don't want to learn, and don't want to learn math." Mm-hmm. And and the beautiful thing is, she put the onus where it belongs. On this white racist, a white supremacy society, straight up. By far. But you know, you can't win this fight. You can't win this fight. Turning the fight into is the black man against the black woman, the black woman against the black man. That we'll never, we'll never come up out of this shit on that, on that rock. Ashay, and and another thing, she said, you you can't win if you're weak. We can't win this with weak people. Uh, I mean, you know, Sister Camille, when you said that a weak man shouldn't be breeding, the queens shouldn't be reproducing. That's a heavy sign, so. Stomach still feeling light, you know what I'm saying? Just listening to the sign she was dropping. Uh, that's why I said, making me really got to go, gotta go back to the drawing board, recalibrate this whole outlook, tighten this shit up right now. This is pretty much doing like 20%, and we need to be doing a lot more, me, myself, for sure.
African wisdom and uh, understanding the Black Holocaust. I say go with that last one. That's my vote, man. I like the African wisdom piece. Do what they better do what it do. I ain't gonna even lie, man. If you have some more Francis Cross boasting, I'm dying to hear some more because she she talking about behavior and a lot. Of, we fuck, you know. I think, and that's one thing. I'm a, a New Year resolution. I told myself I'm working on is my behavior and um behavior. You know, because we embracing the European culture that's white supremacy. It's the culture that that we don't want to fucking want to read. We don't want to learn math, so it's this culture, it's the behavior, and why are we so open to accepting this culture, you see what I'm saying? She broke, she was breaking that shit down, you know what I'm saying? So, I, I don't you know, I love Bobby Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, she got a good one called The Isis Paper Revisited, and, a, uh, and there's one called uh, Fear of a Black Planet. Um, um, any joint, even the one when he was on, on, on she was on Donahue. That it, any anything. Cause she, oh, you, you know. know what? She got an ill interview, son. All right, you know what? You saying the Donahue? Uh, let me look and see. Family, come on, sister, come here. You out there? What's out there, family? Everybody got a, everybody got a, a word. And please come in. If we doing Doctor Clark, I'm going with the Holocaust. I got one where um, oh, let's see, let's see, man. We got we got several different ones. I got this one where Black Love is a revolutionary act. Yeah, I've seen that. See now already. Man, I don't think you can go wrong with nothing, um, brother boy, man. <laughs> you ain't said not one of them. I think that I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have heard most of them, man, that you just said, you know, between her and Dr. Clark, man. I don't think you can go wrong with not one of them you said, bro. Nah, yo, she got a new interview she did. She did an interview, right, talking about the United States being a um, new Nazi Germany, and she was just breaking down the black people rolling and how this thing getting broke down, which was real good. But it was an interview from another. Um, um, they say that for Hitler through the Jews in the gas chamber, the Jews was fully integrated in German society, integrated. 
They almost made it. Then, like, overnight, overnight they came with the campaign and started throwing their asses in ghettos. Even these little, the, the, the term ghetto was used, you know, we said we from the ghetto, but the first motherfucking, the first ghettos were in Germany, and the first inhabitants were Jews. All right. You got, you got a good connection. No, I, I, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna rep the Queen Mother all the way through tonight. We're going to rep the Queen Mother all the way through tonight. We're going to rep her all the way through. And I, and I got one. Hopefully everybody ain't heard this one already. You know, I know y'all, I know y'all out there watching every documentary out. This is the um, Crest Theory of Black Mental Health. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So this will be the one she actually did over over the paper. Um, yo, this one right here. Only reason I'm playing this one is because this one that I know I ain't never seen before. When I when I looked at it, I looked at the. I looked at the clip. I know I ain't seen it before. So I know it'll be new for me. I don't know if it'd be new for y'all. I really don't. I, I, I wouldn't be able to give you an overview of it right now. Well, I, I mean, I know it probably, that's that. I ain't never heard of that one, but uh, but I know that the name of it, that's the, uh, that's the paper she, she based the ISIS papers off of. Yeah, True and D. True and D. But yeah, I would, so I would suspect that's what it is. But I, like I said, I I couldn't tell you, brother. We have to listen to it and see what it is. Already. So family, thank y'all for tuning in tonight. We're giving our respect to the to the uh, to the great Queen Mother, Dr. Frances Crest Wilson, returned to the ancestral realm yesterday, and she rests in power. Power. And with that being said, we're gonna we're gonna load up, and we got one more for y'all for the, for the rest of the night, and and we'll check y'all out. Your African. Oh, excuse me, and we'll give y'all the details on the next show. One like we might come in tomorrow earlier. I try to get us one of these, uh, you know, a, a nice little show, maybe a little hangout show or something. We'll we'll try to get something in for for tomorrow. We'll make sure that announcement is out early for the people. Black Power. This is Dr. Brandon the Crest Theory of Black Mental Health.
being here. Because uh, Dr. Wade Nobles left out one important thing. That when I was at Howard University, I had taught there for seven years, from 1968 to 1975. And I had written the Crest Theory of Color Confrontation and had proceeded to go around the country and lecture about it and to talk on radio and television about it. And I was assistant professor in the Department of Pediatrics. And I knew that I was going to be given promotion and tenure. And then I heard on the grapevine that I was going to be denied promotion and tenure because of my ideas. And I went straight away in all of my naivete to the dean of the College of Medicine. And I said, I'm sure you know I want promotion and tenure, but I'm hearing that I'm going to be denied promotion and tenure because of my ideas. And he said, that's right. And I was floored. And he laid back in his reared back. And he said, I said, well, you know, well, what's wrong with my ideas? He said, that paper that you wrote well, I'd only written one paper. <laughs> and he didn't even know the name. But I said, you mean the Crest Theory of Color Confrontation and Racism, White Supremacy? He said, yes, that's it. And I said, what's wrong with it? And he said, it doesn't make sense for you to say that white people are envious of black people because they had skin pigmentation. And that was the reason, that was the turning point in my career. I mean, it wasn't in the final analysis any negative thing because maybe I had, you know, done my job there. <laughs> and it was time for me to go on and to have some other kinds of experiences that were to, you know, be useful and to be helpful. But after that kind of thing happened, because that was a shock. And then, what is this? That was 1974 when I heard that, and then I was terminated in Uh-huh. 
hypertension in blacks and the sixth sense. The Crest Theory on the George Washington Carver Phenomenon. The Crest Theory on the Sirius Mystery. That's S-I-R-I-U-S. The Crest Theory on the Cosmic Chronicles and the Akashic Records. The Crest Theory on Oracles. The Crest Theory on Divination. The Crest Theory on the Uri Geller Effect. All right, all right. You can see I didn't think I was going to be back in a long time. <laughs> From plants to planets through melanin. Ladies and gentlemen, black men and black women, brothers and sisters, I am honored to have this opportunity to join with you on this occasion of the first annual conference on melanin. The Mystery of Melanin. As I have indicated, my topic has been corrected and expanded from that which was printed in the invitational brochure. Before I begin, I would like to dedicate my remarks first to my paternal grandfather, Dr. Henry Clay Crest, a Chicago physician politician who died in 1909. You know, I didn't know it. <laughs> he dared in his own time to say that there is nerve in some people to believe that they are superior based on the white color of their skin. Secondly, I dedicate these remarks to my father, Dr. Henry Noah Crest also a Chicago physician who died on his 80th birthday, October 1983, because he not only challenged and encouraged me to be a physician from the time that I was six years of age, but also because he challenged me in 1969, after I wrote the Crest Theory of Color Confrontation and Racism, White Supremacy, to find out what is in the melon. I was sitting at our dining room table talking about what I had written to my father. And my father was cool. <laughs> and he said, now you've got to find out what's in the melon. I would not have thought of it on my own, just like I was going to be a nurse. And he said, well, if you're going to be a nurse, you might as well be a doctor. <laughs> because I considered my father to be a great physician and a genius, I did pursue the issue of melon thus making it possible for me to further introduce this subject to other black people, enabling us to be here today. Thirdly, I dedicate these remarks to my mother, Ida Mae Lauren Griffin Crest, a retired Chicago public school teacher who brought me into this world and was a model for high-level learning and character development devoted to the high-level development of black people. And finally, but not least, to my paternal grandmother, now deceased, Luella Jackson Thomas Crest, who on her lap helped me to enjoy learning and to not be afraid of challenge and name-calling. <laughs> it is important that it be clearly stated for the historical record. The very beginning of melanin investigations by black
melanin for all human beings. Prior to this time, melanin as a pigment was investigated by white-skinned people, but the emphasis was placed not on human beings, but on other animals. The only focus in human beings was the importance of melanin as a shield from the ultraviolet rays of the sun, which often caused cancer in white-skinned people. The Crest Theory of Color Confrontation and Racism, White Supremacy, 1970, by Francis Crest Wilson, which was first presented at the annual meeting of the National Medical Association Section on Neurology and Psychiatry, Atlanta, Georgia, was the very first paper to indicate that there was indeed a very, very great significance to the presence or the absence of melanin skin pigment in the behavior of the human population. That paper was the very first to identify the global white skin population as being variants of albinism. And that white skin people indeed envy black melanin pigments. That paper clearly went on record as identifying the global white population as a tiny minority genetic recessive in terms of skin coloration when compared to the vast global majority of black, brown, red, and yellow people. That paper theorized, and I believe correctly so, that because of the two factors of numerical minority status and recessive genetic status in terms of skin coloration, that the global white minority population felt at conscious and subconscious levels the necessity to oppress black, brown, red, and yellow people, those they classified as non-white, so as to prevent their own white genetic annihilation. I stated that concern to be the most fundamental reason for racism, meaning white supremacy, a global behavioral phenomenon practiced by people who classify themselves as white in all areas of people activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. These are the people behavior classification areas as designated in the textbook for victims of racism by Neely Fuller, 1956 to 1984. And let me say that I should dedicate these remarks to Mr. Fuller because had it not been for his work explaining racism as white global power, I never would have raised the question why in my brain computer. And this would be interesting to some of you. Mr. Neely Fuller was born on October 6th, the same date as my father. Pursuing further the investigation of melanin, I was led to understand and to believe that melanin did influence behavior functioning in persons with skin color in comparison to persons who had a genetically determined absence of melanin pigment. My next paper was again presented at the 1972 annual meeting of the National Medical Association Section on Neurology and Psychiatry, Psychiatry, Kansas City, Missouri. That paper was entitled, The Crest Theory on Melanin, the Neurochemical Basis for Soul. And let me just say this that presenting these wild ideas, I mean, you take some flack when you do it. <laughs> I can right now see 
feels the vibrations that came from this group of physicians who listened to that paper, and it was like almost total silence. And that silence, I translated those vibes with my melanin. <laughs> And those vibes are saying, this woman has to be mad. In that presentation, it was called the once prevalent saying amongst black people in this area of the world. The blacker the berry, I heard it earlier. <laughs> the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice. If it ain't got no soul, it ain't got no use. I learned that from my grandmother. I went further in that paper to state that the various parts of the human body that had the highest obvious levels of melanin skin pigmentation, the nipples of the breast, the lips, the genitals, and the underarm areas were indeed the most sensitive parts of the body. I noted James Brown's song, We've Got More Soul. I even noted the observation of whites, that blacks are too sensitive, indicating that they are more sensitive than, and aware than whites. I suggested that melanin was not only the basis for our superior hand clapping ability, <laughs> but that's true, that's rhythm, and the ability to put that all together. That is melanin pigment that allows that. <laughs> Our ability to dance and to perform athletically, but also that melanin was the basis for our more in-depth religious spirituality, and that all of the known prophets had been people of color. I also suggested that melanin was the basis for blacks apparent superior enjoyment of sexual activity. That we did not, <laughs> as often as others, have to question where was the orgasm. <laughs> and let me just throw this in. <laughs> I was in a training program in psychiatry, general psychiatry at St. Elizabeth's Hospital for three years in Washington. And I remember going to a seminar when all of the people who were at my training level, oh, the grants tell me I'm not talking about it. Uh, I was in a training program at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Psychiatry in Washington, and I went to this training seminar one day. And there were just a few blacks. You know how that is, and everybody else is white. And these people were sitting around talking about where was the orgasm. Uh, I mean, and I just said they had Uh, 
Dr. Jeffries, I had on my red, green, and black dress. <laughs> and I also had on my red, green, and black dress that I put on deliberately when I debated Dr. William Sharp. That's how.
the high level of Parkinson's disease seen in very dark-skinned people. I further indicated that it was probably possible for melanin pigment to pick up and decode cosmic rays. I likened the role of black pigment melanin to the function of the green pigment chlorophyll in plants. I stated it is well known that biological systems utilize electromagnetic radiation both as a primary source of energy and also as a source of information. All green plants use light as a source of energy. To collect this energy, plants have a series of pigments, the various types of chlorophyll molecules that absorb certain frequencies of electromagnetic radiation. I got a letter from Harvard University from the head of the Department of Electron Microscopy. And he said, you have opened the way for all kinds of research. But I couldn't work it out. <laughs> okay, thus the above series of briefly summarized insights led me to next consider the very, very, very special ability of Dr. George Washington Carver, a very, very black-skinned man referred to as the Wizard of Tuskegee. I now refer to what Dr. George Washington Carver was able to do as the George Washington Carver phenomenon. Every black school child, at least in past decades, learned the story of the orphan black slave boy born in Diamond Grove, Missouri, of a slave mother and slave father who was destined to later be known throughout the world as the plant wizard, the man who could communicate with plants. As a child, he could heal sick plants. He once said, quote, all flowers talk to me, and so do hundreds of little things in the woods. I learned what I know by watching and loving everything. Dr. Carver enrolled in Simpson College in Indianola, Iowa. He later transferred to Iowa State College of Agriculture. By 1896, he had obtained his master's degree and was invited to join the faculty there. However, Booker T. Washington asked him to come to Tuskegee Institute in Tuskegee, Alabama. Because Dr. Carver wanted to serve black people, his own people, he accepted the offer of Dr. Washington. Dr. Carver had the habit of rising at 4 o'clock every morning to walk in the woods, bringing back numerous plants used to illustrate his lectures. He is quoted as stating, nature is the greatest teacher, and I learn from her best when others are asleep. In the still dark hours before sunrise, God tells me of the plans I am to fulfill. This is from The Secret Life of Plants by Peter Thompson. When asked to discuss his method of knowledge and discovery, Carver answered that he never had to grope for answers, but that they came to him in flashes of inspiration as he walked in the woods. Carver is described as once 
plant and asking, what did the Lord make you for? From Dr. Carver's inquiries to plants, from the leaves, roots, stems, and fruits of 28 plants, he was able to coax 536 separate dyes, which could be used to color wool, cotton, linen, silk, and even leather, producing 49 of them from the Scoopernong grape alone. Now, Dr. Carver didn't have any big fancy laboratories. You see, if people wondered how on earth was he able to do what he did, I had a head of a department said, you know, how do you, how do, you do what you do? Where is your laboratory? <laughs> Where is your computer? He said, how do you arrive at the ideas? I said, they come to me. You see what I'm saying? I mean, you have to know what you're looking for, but it comes from another place. By 1930, Dr. Carver's communications with the peanut plant alone had changed the peanut, once considered to be worthless, into a quarter-billion-dollar industry for southern farmers. From the Alabama clays, Dr. Carver was to bring forth hundreds of natural colors, including a rare pigment of deep blue color, which amazed Egyptologists, who saw rediscovered in it the blue color found in the tomb of Tutankhamun, as bright and as fresh after so many centuries as it was when it first when it was first applied. Thomas Edison told people Carver is worth a fortune. Henry Ford thought Carver the greatest scientist living. From the sweet potato, Carver brought forth hundreds of products. And from the peanut, Carver brought forth other hundreds of products. But no one heretofore has ever asked how answered, how was Dr. George Washington Carver able to do what he did? My answer, the crest theory of the George Washington Carver phenomenon is that he did it through his melanin pigment, through his melanin instrument. He did it through his very, very black color and the necessary levels of melanin pigment in his internal nervous system. He used or was able to use his black melanin pigment to decode the energy emanations from plants. Thus they did talk to him. In Africa proper, the use of herbal plants and the development of the abilities to find and use various parts of plants is a most highly developed area of knowledge. Special persons are selected who have abilities in this area. Other non-white cultures, such as in Asia, also have highly developed plant and herbal knowledge. It should here be recalled that there are many other cited accounts of other black people, other people of African heritage, who could go into the woods and find plants that were capable of specifically addressing a given illness. Dr. Carver discovered that oil from the peanut could be used to help treat victims of polio. In my own family, my maternal great aunt, Jenny Hayes, 
would often take my mother, her two brothers and sister, to pick berries in the state of Michigan. My Uncle Charles Griffin on more than one occasion described to me how my Aunt Jenny would tell the children to be very quiet for a while and to leave her alone. She would then go off and twirl herself about like a dervish and mumble certain words or sounds. She would then gather plants that would be used to help someone who was ill. I now translate this behavior as she was putting herself in a certain trance state, in an altered state of consciousness or awareness, wherein she could read the energy emanations from plants and thus communicate with the plants so as to heal. This story account fascinated me from the very first time that I heard it. Again, I wondered what enabled her to do what she did. I now say that she too, like Dr. Carver, was activating the melanin instrument. She, like Dr. Carver, was using the melanin nervous system mechanism, the melanin sense system to communicate with plants. It is to be recalled that the Egyptian god Osiris was referred to as Lord of the Perfect Black. I translate this to mean that he was black black, heavy crystal black, that's my term, in skin coloration, which would also indicate that there were very, very high concentrations of melanin pigment throughout the specific centers in the whole of his nervous system, not just his skin. Thus, he has the perfect instrument to communicate with all, all of the various energy frequencies which made up the known and unknown universe. Dr. George Washington Carver's very black skin pigmentation enabled him to pick up and decode the electromagnetic or other energy frequencies coming from plant life. He was also apparently tuning in to other sources of energy, meaning in the final analysis, information from other sources of energy in the universe that could tell him what to do. Recall that black is the most perfect absorber of all energy frequencies. That's why they refer to the most powerful source of energy or energy accumulation as a black hole. Quoting from the book, Astrophysical Concepts, by Martin Harwitz, 1973, in the chapter, An Approach to Astrophysics, Channels for Astronomical Information, he states, imagine a planet inhabited by a blind civilization. Human beings can see light, and we would expect to have a big head start in astronomy compared to any civilization that was just discovering or unable to use methods for detecting visible radiation. Think then of an even more advanced civilization or culture that could detect not only visible light, but also all other electromagnetic radiations and that had telescopes and detectors sensitive to cosmic rays, neutrinos, and gravitational waves. Clearly, that civilization's knowledge of astronomy could be far greater than ours. 
cosmic ray studies, we hope to learn a great deal about the chemistry of the universe on a large scale. And we hope eventually to single out regions of the universe in which as yet unknown grandiose accelerators produce these highly energetic particles. Not only must we be able to detect these information carriers, but we will also have to develop detectors that cover the entire spectral range for each type of carrier. Just as we are reaching for our first cosmic neutrino and gravitational wave detection, the possibility of yet a fifth channel for communication, communicating has been suggested. The information carriers would be tachyons. These thus far hypothetical particles would travel at speeds greater than the speed of light. Ladies and gentlemen, the culture, the civilization that has the instrument to detect the entire spectral range of energy frequencies, meaning information carriers, is already at hand. That culture, that civilization consists of the people who have the highest concentrations of the black pigment melanin. That civilization is of African people, the black-skinned people. These were the same people that produced the man who could read the energy frequencies coming from plant life and thus be instructed as to what those plants were immediately capable of producing. I now wish to move further into a discussion of the Sirius mystery. For those who may not yet be familiar with the book by that title by Robert K.G. Temple, this work seeks to explain how the black people, the people of the Dogon Nation, now the book says tribe, but we're not going to say tribe anymore. We're going to refer to nation. of the Dogon Nation in Mali, formerly the French Sudan, how their priests had information concerning the system of Sirius, Sirius, which was really more than 5,000 years old, this information, it was possessed by the ancient Egyptians in the pre-dynastic times before 3200 B.C. Had managed to get this information on Dogon knowledge from four head priests. They raised the question, these anthropologists, which heretofore has not been solved how could men, with no instruments at their disposal, how could they know the movements and certain characteristics of stars which were totally invisible? and a star which was only discovered by white-skinned people in the last century with the use of the telescope. Only in 1970 was a photograph of Sirius B successfully taken by Irving Lindenball of the U.S. Naval Observatory. The fact is demonstrated, and it is that the Dogon have an accurate general knowledge of the most unobvious and subtle principles of the orbiting of Sirius B around Sirius A. The Dogon also know the actual orbital period of this
called digitaria. It is the smallest thing there is. This is Dogon philosophy. It is the heaviest star. It consists of a metal. Now imagine white people wondering how people who are, you know, in huts. <laughs> know this, right? Yeah. It consists of a metal called Sagala, which is a little brighter than iron and so heavy that all earthly beings combined cannot lift it. In effect, the star weight the equivalent of all of the seeds or all of the iron on earth. The Dogon say that God created Digitaria before any other star. They say it is the egg of the world, the infinitely tiny. And as it developed, it gave birth to everything that exists, visible or invisible. The white-skinned scholars, Robert K.G. Temple and others, believe that it is impossible for people they call primitive to have this masterful level of understanding. Their solution then to this mystery is that a superior white light-skinned civilization with astronauts travel to Earth to leave this information with the ancient Dogons and Egyptians. On the Sarius mystery is that the very black skinned Africans and Dogons, Dogons and Egyptians, use their black pigment melanin to detect the energy information about this star system, which was central to the whole of Egyptian civilization. Just as the application of infrared techniques to astronomical observation is a recent innovation long, long ago. Black, black people, African people, were able to use the application of melanin in the pineal glands or other melanin centers in the body to make astronomical observations. I even go further to theorize that because of the particular characteristics of the star digitaria, as known by the Dogons and the Egyptians, that all energy information generated by activity on the planet Earth returns to that energy gathering station. Are you following me? I'm saying that all of the activity, everything that occurs on the Earth, which everything is energy, see, it's just different frequencies of energy. We are all energy. Okay. And that that energy goes up to Sarius B. That is why the Dogon also referred to it as the star of knowledge. Even further, I theorize that it is possible to tune into this star of all knowledge. This star thus becomes the place where souls return after they leave the human body. <laughs> Thus, its most critical place in the Egyptian mystery system. And I say that Sirius B is, how many people have heard of the Cosmic Chronicles and the Akashic Record? You see what I'm saying? Where you can tune, those people who can tune in, can tune in and pinpoint whatever happened. And let me just do this. 
people know about communication satellites. Israeli 
psychic. How many people have seen you again? Okay. TV or something like that, right? He is capable of bending metal. Causing metal to bend through a TV set. I know people who had stuff bend in their house, and he's in New York, and the stuff bend in Washington. <laughs> he calls computers to stop at Stanford University. Yellow skin appears white. They probably wouldn't be interested in him if it wasn't. But his eyes and his hair are very black. Committee meeting, that was when I met Neely Fulton. 
what got me started on the Crest Theory. If it hadn't been a voice saying, go, I never would have gone. I never would have conquered. Nothing would have happened. Another occasion in which I would say it's got to be the melanin instrument, I was sitting in my house. This was 1967 in Washington. It was in December, the first part of December, and I had come home. And you know how you flop down, you tie, you sit on the couch, you have roof. And so I did like, like that. And then I saw like a big, gigantic, uh, gigantic, I mean, it was like almost the size of the wall that I was facing. Like I was sitting on the couch looking at this wall. It was like a TV screen in living color. And my brother-in-law, Colonel Robert Lawrence, who was in astronaut training at Edwards Air Force Base, he was trying, he was up in the sky in this plane, and he was in his flight suit in this airplane, and he was trying to get out of the plane, and he couldn't get out, he couldn't get his parachute open, and so like I, it was like a crash. And I just said, wow, what was that? I'm in my house by myself, I'm wow, okay. <laughs> so I just, you know, I said, ooh, I just dismissed that. And I went downtown, came back, walked in the house, the telephone was ringing, picked up the telephone, and my mother said, Bob has been killed in a plane crash. And I just started screaming, I saw it happen, I saw it happen. You see, because at the very time that I was sitting there, it was at the very time that his plane was going, going down. You see, so I can't, you know, I know that was real just like I'm standing here. Like they say, I know God is real, right? Okay. On another occasion, I was going to lunch with a friend, so we were at work, and I said, I've got to stop home, and I've got to get some money. So I drove to my house, and I go in my house by opening the garage door, you know, and just going in, and something, the same voice said, don't go in the garage. I never go in my front door. Don't go in the garage. It's cool. Don't go in the garage. And I stopped my car in the drive. I got out of my car, started walking around the front of the house. I see a brother going down the street, and he's looking back at the house. There's only about three houses on the block. He's looking back. And so I'm picking up papers, taking time, picking up papers. So when I get to the steps and walk up the stairs, here's the brother on the top step. So he says, does Betty Jane live here? And I said, no, Betty Jane lives here. <laughs> so I put the key in the lock. He goes on down the steps. I go in the house. To make a long story short, I said, oh, wait a minute. One of the locks is off, but I said, how did I forget that? Anyway, I get in the house, and then I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll call the police and say that some brothers are trying door knocks because it didn't seem right. So I did that. Then I went the other way. And my curtains in the living room, the curtains were drawn, the couches were pulled. I went in the bedroom, and the drawers had been turned out on the bed. If I had gone in the house, the regular way, I would have walked in on the brothers. I don't know what would have happened, but a voice said, don't go in the house. Now, that communication, see, old people would talk about something like that. And with us, having been brought to the civilization of the people without melanin. And so when they said that was stupid, we said it was stupid. And when the old people said they could see spirits, we said they can't see them. 
the hands, the organisms in their body, destroying their body, passing it on to wives and children. They had even discussed ideas, some of the people, that this is a way to get rid of black people. So after I read that and realized that the United States Public Health Service and the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta were leading so-called the war against AIDS. But then I also was disturbed. Since 1983, I have been disturbed writing letters saying public education, if you have a major epidemic, where is the public education? There's no education going on, particularly of black people. So I said, something is not right. And several months ago, I had called Surgeon General's office coup. And I said, you all, you're supposed to have this epidemic, and it's supposed to break out in full force in the black communities in a year or two. You're not educating the people. I said, most black people don't read. Not that they can't, they just don't. Nine out of ten white people read. One out of ten black people read. So I said, if you want to educate the black population, you've got to go on radio. You've got to go on television. The spokesperson, spokeswoman that I spoke to, she said it's unfortunate some people just won't find out. And I said, I can't believe you're saying this to me. But she went on saying some people just won't find out. So I was disturbed and concerned and still no public education forthcoming. So, you know, my brain computer was saying something is not right. So after I read the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, I guess my brain went up to another level. And also before that, I had read the book, The Nazi Doctors, The Psychology of Medical Killing, The Psychology of Genocide, Medical Killings and the Psychology of Genocide. And I read what they did to people who don't quite look non-white to us, who were called Semites in Germany and in Europe, and knew that Hitler said, well, they were not white, and implying basically that their ancestors had come out of Africa and that it were miscegenation products of Roman and Greek soldiers and African women and making a little light population with some, you know, frizzy hair, but some of it straight and big noses, right? But six million of them had been destroyed. So I read that about the government there participating in the destruction of people who were not classified as white. And so I'm putting the pieces together, putting the pieces together. And I was on my way to the jewelry store, 18th Street, Northwest Washington. Happened to park my car in front of a store. I mean, I feel like I parked, I'm going to the jewelry store. I look over here. And here's a little bookstore. I said, I've never seen this bookstore before. I wasn't even really familiar with all the shops. I just said, oh, I've never seen it before. So I go into the store. It's a little store. So I'm walking around and looking. And I look, look at the different literature, looking. And then something leads me right way to the back of the store, just, you know, long, oblong store going to the back. And I walk back there, and there is a book sitting on the shelf, a survey of chemical and biological warfare. 
get this. <laughs> I can afford this. So I got that. I see, I don't even have it with me. Okay, but anyway, I can tell you about it. So I took the little book home, 400 pages. See, I was saying I've never read anything formally on chemical and biological warfare, and since AIDS was in the back of my mind, I was thinking it was biological warfare. And I had said it was biological warfare on a radio program until proven otherwise. Oh, here, this brother, here it is. Okay? So, John Cookson, C-O-O-K-S-O-N, and Judith Nottingham, N-O-T-T-I-N-G-H-A-M, Monthly Review Press. These are some British people, a British political scientist and biochemist, and uh, biochemist, geneticist, and political scientist. So check this. I go home. I sit down on the side of the bed. I was not going to read these 400 pages just because I was busy. I work about 16 hours a week. So, Go 
on to talk about the possibility of the virus and bacteria being genetically manipulated to produce new organs. So I said, oh my God, here it is. So I, you know, there are these pages, sent it all over the world, sent it to everybody, sent it to Kennedy, sent it to Coop. I mean, I sent it all over everybody, every place I sent it. A week ago, a week ago, I'm opening the book. <laughs> it wasn't like this. <laughs> I flipped this book over. And right on page 110, listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Just recently, a great deal of useful work has been done on the vervet monkey disease, which caused seven deaths in Germany. Reports of progress sent to 40 laboratories all over the world. Nine of these have been supplied with infective material and or anti-serum, which is a vaccine. Are you with me? Let's talk about the AIDS
pass me by. If I didn't understand what went down in Nazi Germany, meaning a white supremacy state in high gear, I would not have been able to put this in perspective. If it hadn't been for melanin operating and taking me in that bookstore and letting those pages fall open when I sat on my bed, I would not have this information. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I say that it's important to talk about melanin. But if we don't talk about AIDS and if every black man, woman, and child does not change your behavior,
They think, but people think. Remember Earl Butt, the Secretary of Agriculture, who said all black people want is loose shoes, tight pussy, and a warm place to piss. That they can't control their behavior. You see what I'm saying? That they just got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. I don't care nothing about it. We can surprise them. See, and I'm not against sex is magnificent. <laughs> I'm here to testify it is. <laughs> it's in my top three. <laughs> the point is, it's not a question about what I enjoy. It is a question of a higher, long-range objective.
maybe we can finally get it into our head that we are playing a game just like a game of chess. And it's two sides to the chessboard. One side is the black-white players. One side is the white players. The other side is the black. The lesson in self-respect and everything that we have heard by all these brilliant people who have talked thus far at this conference, I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about the other people.
what the hue, H-U-E, man being is supposed to be has got to stop. See, we got to have simultaneous war on many fronts. We are stopping AIDS. We are going to stop children having children. Destroy 
you have confidence in yourself, you always like a good child. So I tell them, play their best pain. <laughs> People know that the under-14 chess champion in the United States is a black guy. The first United States chess champion was a black man, light-skinned in New Orleans. They tried to play like he wasn't. And how many people know that Ray Charles is a master chess player and can't see the people? Plays with people who can see.
small family, probably around 5 o'clock, we might have a little special. Come on in and chop it up with the family for a little bit. There'll be a no-fly on a lot of the Negro nonsense going on. Um, we all we got. So uh, we're not going to be uh, pulled back into the nonsense world. So, uh, but we, again, we'd like to thank everybody for coming out tonight. It's been a wonderful night. Y'all sit there and reflect. Reflect. We got, you know, um, you know, said the last couple of days we had do- we had the Dr. Ben Day, 31st, and we had Baba Clark, and then we had the passing of the great ancestors. And, um, you know, so take this time. It's small, you know, to sit back and reflect and uh, build with the family and see and, and make sure that we get in our mind correct in order for us to accomplish that it be before the end. It takes a lot to turn an idea into a business. Yahoo Small Business has everything you need to start and grow your business. Get online for free. Visit www.yahoosmallbusiness.com.